Over the next couple months, we have an incredible sponsor that I'm going to keep telling you about. It's Yukon River Knives. Yukon River Knives exists to support missions work in rural Alaska by providing outdoor enthusiasts with premium quality knives. A portion of every purchase goes to helping advance the gospel in rural villages in Alaska. Featuring both handmade and high-quality production knives, Yukon River Knives has curated some of the finest and most useful knives in the market. Go check out their products at yukonriverknives.com and enter Shepherd's Crook at purchase for a coupon code and a 15% discount. As you guys know, in the past, I've worked with Buck Knives. Now, I love Buck Knives, but there's a difference with a knife like that, a mass-produced knife, and the Yukon River Knives. When I think about Yukon River Knives, I'm thinking about a knife that I can give down as a legacy piece to one of my grandsons, and I'm looking forward to that. Also, their small game knife is going to be my primary knife that I use for whitetail season this year and for my boar hunting trip in the early spring. Their knives feel great in the hand, and you can just tell looking at it and the feel of it that it's a well-balanced, great knife with a sharp edge, and it's going to last for a lifetime, and not just my lifetime, but multiple lifetimes. Yes, you can go buy another stock knife, or you can check out what Yukon River's doing and get you a nice, quality, premium knife that you're going to be able to hand down to your grandkids. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how Presbyterianism caused transgenderism. (laughs) Uh, just kidding. We're going to talk about introspection and cultural analysis, and I'm going to have some tongue-in-cheek back and forth with some Presbyterians. Let's go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help, and we are going to trust that God's going to give it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing, and I pray for just a fun time as we talk through some of these things. Uh, God, I thank you for Presbyterian brothers, and God, I pray that uh, Presbyterians would not have a haughty attitude, prideful attitude a theological superior attitude that is their caricature. And I pray that Baptists wouldn't have a sectarian, um, you know, almost like a a theological little man syndrome uh, attitude or trying to prove themselves attitude to Presbyterians or to anybody else. And God, I pray that we would unify around the cross. And God, thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you for faithful brothers and sisters across denominational lines. And uh, we just trust you're going to lead this conversation. Uh, It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, Yukon River Knives. I dropped my hat just a second. Yukon River Knives. Here we go. I want to tell you about it. It is a premium knife company. Christian company. Everybody from the designers to the builders to the marketers to the owner. Everything in between is all Christian people wanting to honor the Lord and their knife production and giving a portion of their proceeds to missions in Alaska. I mean, is there anything better than that? These knives are premium knives. They're going to last. You can have them on your belt, fixed blade knives, both the small game knife and the hunter and the the other knife that they carry, this one that you uh, hang it around your neck. Um, Always their knife, I think it's called. You can pick up this knife, gut deer, do whatever you need to do with a knife in the outdoor world, and use it decade after decade after decade and then hand it off to your grandson who can use it decade after decade after decade. It's going to cost you a little bit, but something that you're going to use that much for that long a time, big whoop. So you can get 15% off right now and go to yukonriverknives.com. Just follow the link in the show notes and then 
you can go to uh, uh, the coupon code and add it. It's Shepherd's Crook. That's all it is. You get 15% off. Okay. There was a big dust up two weeks ago. I think it was now. I've let it just kind of settle a little bit. I think the whole thing was silly. Uh, my emotions weren't hurt as a Baptist. I wasn't frustrated uh, in the sense that some others were frustrated. Um, but the Fight, Laugh, Feast guys were talking through um, transgenderism with Jason Farley. And one of the things that Jason Farley said was Baptist theology caused transgenderism. Now, there were some caveats. There's differences between confessional Baptists and all this kind of stuff. And and then sloppy Baptist theology, and this is the individualism, and individualism trains up people and a society because culture is downstream from the church and all this kind of stuff. And my pushback to that is just simply, I'm sure that Jason Farley and the Fight Left Feast guys, I've had those guys on my show before uh, multiple times with Toby Sumter, who was not on that particular episode or after show. Those guys are phenomenal. I've learned so much from those men, and uh, I'm so thankful for those guys. But the whole point, I think, was ridiculous. There's been a lot of people that have pushed back and said, well, don't you see where they're coming from? And I don't at all, and I'll explain here in just a little bit. And I think it's, again, just a silly point to be made. Because if you just say Baptist theology, sloppy Baptist theology causes transgenderism, then you should have some sort of historical precedent to point to in direct links rather than just some broad cultural analysis about how a theological point in the Baptist world is connected to a cultural moment. And then just the obvious, like the optics of the situation, the PCUSA is literally ordaining transsexuals. And I don't think that's Presbyterian's fault or sloppy Presbyterian theology's fault. There's other factors there. James White hit the nail on the head, I think, just saying that this is sin causes this. But for every person who's like, well, no, the individualism, individualism, like, okay, yeah, Baptist emphasize you must be born again and personal salvation, which every Protestant should um, emphasize that. That should be a, a, a personal conversion, should be an emphasis of every Protestant, and it has been an emphasis of every Pro- Protestant. Um, but you could think about videos that you've seen that floating around the internet when a mother is reciting the words that she's trained her transgender child to say, couldn't you easily come back with sloppy cultural analysis and say, look, this is what catechesis has done. Catechesis has trained children to just wrote in a rote manner, quote back whatever their parents fed down their throat and shoved down their throat, and look, here they are now in the public square, and look what's downstream from catechesis. Uh, That is children just going with the flow, and doing whatever their parents tell them to do. See, look at the cultural rot that's downstream from sloppy catechesis or Presbyterianism. Because after all, uh, a child is uh, baptized as the, in the family unit in Presbyterianism. Therefore, this parental emphasis or this parental lordship over the home is now evidenced in this transgender ideology of parents imposing their thoughts and beliefs and ideals upon children. Okay, All of that would be ridiculous, right? Okay, it's all, it's all silly, but you see how easy it is to play that game back and forth. And I really want to go to a point that I think in pastoral ministry can be overlooked, and it's just the simplicity of so many things that we see that we make complicated. One of the things that R.C. Sproul did so well was he took complicated ideas and brought it down to the everyman level. And one of the things that I seek to do, and I'm not a, in any way a scholar, I'm a pastor who's done some reading over the years, but I'm not an intellectual giant or anything like that. Uh, I love the Lord. I love God's Word. I try to study and prepare and all of that. But one of the things I'm very conscientious of is I I do want to bring things down to a level that the normal everyday man, and that's my primary audience always, 
the normal everyday guy can understand. And I do want to call them up to more than where they're at. So if there's a guy that says, I just don't really read, well, I want to challenge them to, well, you've got to read God's word. You want to hear from him. You've got to respond to him. You need to read those that are helping you understand God's word. Reading is a very good thing. And, and I want to challenge guys up. But I take the more Spurgeon route of wanting to take things that are complicated, theological ideas, and say them in such a way that children can understand them. And fortunately, over the years, I've had so many guys and so many older men who have come to me and said, when you preach or when you teach, I just understand what you're saying. And I take that as a, I mean, praise the Lord. That's what I'm wanting to do. And so I want to call men up and the ladies consequently and the children up to certain things to challenge them. But I also want to bring certain things down in such a way that the average normal everyday person can understand them. And I'm not trying to I don't want to, and I don't think any pastor should, try to flex intellectual muscles by saying words or phrases that people can't understand. I was just talking to my buddy Bill Anderson about this yesterday, where there are some some in pastoral ministry, and I think this is easy to do, where you speak in a level where this is the average person, the average Christian, who is a very smart, very intelligent person, and very skilled in their particular calling, very knowledgeable about the, the, the things that they need to be knowledgeable about in their particular calling. But when it comes to the things of scriptures, sometimes pastors, because we're in this world, we're thinking through this stuff all the time. We're thinking through cultural analysis and how can we help people grow in Christ and repent of their sins and all this kind of stuff. And we're reading theological works. And as we're doing that, if we can't distill that in a manner, if we can't sift that in a manner and present that to people in a way that they can understand and in a way that's faithful, communicating biblical theology in a way that's faithful and understandable, then we're going to lose people. And we're going to say, well, I, they should just, I'm just calling them up. And in reality, it's okay, but you're not calling them up in the appropriate way because you can help them think through these things in a deep manner, but without saying it the way you're saying it. And so let's get back to what the Fight, Laugh, Feast guys were doing. Okay, let's get back to their cultural analysis. And one of the things that I think can happen often in this cultural analysis is also reflected in pastoral counseling. And hang with me here. Okay. When you take a cultural sin, idol, and say, we sin in a particular way in a society, this is downstream from the church, what are the connections historically to the church? And then you run the historical theological trail and try to track down, okay, it's Baptist theology, it's individualism, it's making choices, and I'm just going to make a choice for myself when I can be saved and when I can't be saved, when I can be baptized, when I can't be baptized, therefore I can be a man or a woman. And you make jumps like that, which again, is it's comical, honestly. Like I, I don't give credence to the argument. The guys are, I mean, smarter than I am, and I'm sure Jason Farley is as well. But in this particular point, I just think it's so comical. It's just silly. And we complicate cultural analysis in the same way I think at times we complicate pastoral counseling through the idea or concept of introspection. Now, in pastoral counseling, most of the time what you're dealing with is the idea of sin and repentance. That's, that's what's needed. So in marriage, for instance, when you're doing marriage counseling pastors, you realize that marriage problems are 99% of the time sin problems. Therefore, the solution is repentance. When you're talking with a, a young man in ministry or young man who is in counseling and discipleship with you and he's dealing with pornography, the issue with him is a sin issue and it needs repentance. Now, in these moments, we can require them to lay on a couch and introspect. Or we can take somebody that's doing really, really well and that's really, really healthy and tell them to sit on a couch because uh, in, given enough time talking to a, a counselor or therapist, um, you're going to realize you got more baggage than you realize. And what ends up happening is you discover problems 
you find issues because you're doing this introspection. And so you go and you mine and you dig and you find all these issues. And these are not issues that needed to be dug up. Now, certainly if you've gone in the past and never come to the Lord with some of the things in your past that you've needed to repent of, certainly you need to repent. But often what happens is through so much introspection, you can bog people down. And instead, what needs to happen is, I'm sorry, God, I repent of that. It's wrong. I want to walk away with it. And it's done and over with. And then you move forward. You just move forward. So too much introspection can reveal some things that may or may not be problems at all. And it may or may not be things that you're already past. And it may not even be connected to the issue at all. It's just you just need to repent and move on. Now, I think that same thing that's there in pastoral counseling at time and in therapy, and I've worked in the therapy world for a while as a biblical counselor and was around therapist. And I'm telling you, with anybody, if you put them on a couch, you can find father issues, mother issues, uh, some sort of sins that were committed against them and, and really do the work of convincing them to continue to come back when in reality they need to say, forgive, man. Like, forgive them and move on. Just move on. That's what God calls you to do. And that might seem harsh and at times... It's going to require more pastoral counseling than just saying, hey, move on, forgive them, depending upon the measure of the sins or, or crimes that were committed against them. There's, there can be a net of difficulty, a web of difficulty with that kind of stuff. However, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Now, same thing with cultural analysis. The guys in Moscow are so good about this, aren't they? They're so good about connecting and seeing things through the biblical lenses. A lot of the uh, reconstructionists, a lot of the people that have been so helpful in helping me think through the law of God, they do such a good job of connecting the dots and, and recognizing, even like Francis Schaeffer, it's almost like they're prophetic in the sense that, man, they saw R.J. Rushton, he saw where we were going. He called it out beforehand. R.L. Dabney saw where we were going. He saw the consequence of ideas in a society in the public square, and he was calling it out. Those things are great. But if you do that too much, you end up saying things like, you know, I think Baptist theology, sloppy Baptist theology caused transgenderism. When in reality, like that's in the introspective work. In reality, what causes it? Well, okay, the more noble an idea is, the more seductive a false gospel it is. The image of God is glorious. The only thing in creation stamped with the image of God is mankind, male, female. He created them. Therefore, when somebody is idolatrous, they're going to turn to the human being and they're going to turn to mankind and, and, I, and there's the idolatry right there. And so they're going to rebel against the image of God in them and they're going to rebel against gender itself. And that's what we've seen with gender erosion. It has nothing whatsoever to do with sloppy Arminian theology. Sloppy Baptist theology it has everything to do with sin and repentance. So to my Fight, Laugh, Feast brothers, to everybody that's listening in, I know that we got a lot of people that listen in and, and their podcast is about a thousand times larger than mine. Um, but I'm so thankful for everything that they've done. Jason Farley, I'm sure, man, I, I would uh, have a really good time talking through this, th this stuff with you if we ever got to talk. But I think the whole thing in this particular point and this particular point of cultural analysis is the same kind of mistake that's made when somebody lays on the couch and spends too much time in introspection. You end up coming up with silly results and silly solutions. Okay, guys, uh, I hope this has been helpful. Pastors, point people to Christ. Tell them with the finished work of Jesus. Call them to repent in every area we can call people to repent and turn and walk humbly before God and others. When it comes to cultural analysis, just hit the nail on the head. Uh, when you see it, it's sin. It's not this kind of stuff. Don't spend too much time thinking about it. We know the answer and solution is Christ and obedience to him. And uh, anyways, I'd love your comments back and forth. I'm sure that some of you will have them. Thanks so much. Please like, subscribe, share, and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co.